You're listening to The Purple Stethoscope. I am your host, Devin Nixon, family nurse practitioner. None of the information provided in this podcast is intended to nor sufficient to diagnose your personal medical issue, but there is a lot to learn, so let's start the show. So we're back with Dr. Monique Balthazar, who has graciously agreed to come back to The Purple Stethoscope and talk with us specifically about sleep with kids, pediatric sleep. Welcome back, Dr. Balthazar. Thank you. Thank you. Um, How have things been going for you? Things are going well. Um, I think with us being on summer break right now, at least in Washington State where I live, it's a great time to kind of reassess sleep patterns and make different habits because the hustle and bustle of the day-to-day, Monday through Friday with the kids and school and sports and all that they do, we have a little bit of a break from that. So I'm really excited to get some knowledge and maybe some some boundaries or some goals to set around sleep. Well, definitely. And I, I mean, especially for, for our little ones who are still growing and developing and going through so much as it is, life is hard, um, as, especially if you can imagine being a preteen again, life is hard. So Right. I actually have a couple of kids in my house that are those days. I have a 14-year-old son who's a great sleeper. He's the one that if I want to wake him up or if I want to see the whites of his eyes, I'm physically have to go and wake him up. Um, he is growing like a weed. He's about six feet tall right now. Oh, wow. With a size 13 shoe. Oh, man. Got <laughs> a pinch of fat anywhere on his body. And then I have a 12-year-old son who, like mommy, wakes up at 5 a.m. every day like clock. I think we're just, we're just set that way. Mm-hmm. But he wants to be tall like his brother. So he told me the other morning it was so sweet. He's like, I've been going to bed earlier so that I can grow because I want to be tall. <laughs> I thought that was pretty sweet. That's so and cute. I also thought, I also thought hey, you might be on to something. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So kids, kids need sleep. Kids need more sleep than we do as adults. Um, we're looking closer to 10 to 12 hours for kids, depending on their age. Um, wow. And kids need bedtimes. They need structure. And so what we're seeing specifically in um, minority communities is um, we know that minority people, um, black people specifically, tend to not sleep very well for a lot of different reasons. There's um, the chronic stress of trying to be black in America. Right. And then there's also shift work and public transportation and a lot of things that you tend to see more in um, poorer communities than in uh, more well-to-do communities. Got it. But when our parents are sleeping well, our kids tend to not sleep well either. So we have kids who are falling asleep, asleep in front of the TV. And we spoke last time about how detrimental that is to the health of an adult. And you can just magnify that for a child. Wow. And uh, we don't really have very consistent bedtimes. And as much as kids hate bedtimes the the consistency of knowing that they're going to bed around the same time and that training of their body is really really important so two quick things on that I had nappers my kids were all good nappers all three of them and all the way up until my oldest moved out 
we used to have quiet time on Saturdays. And the rule was between 1 p.m. and 3 p.m., I don't care what you're doing, but it has to be a quiet activity. Those kids fell asleep. 100% of the time, they would have a book or they would be, you know, typically it was a book. And they, just, just by being allowed a time to not be bombarded with stimulus, they would naturally fall asleep. And oftentimes before, or oftentimes they would wake up after the three o'clock time that was the end of quiet time. Another thing that was really freeing to me, because last week you spoke about um, seven hours is what's recommended or what's needed for an adult. You said 10 to 12 hours for kids. And what immediately went off in my mind is, oh, I'm going to have some mommy downtime. If my kids are going to bed before I am, then I have an opportunity to really wind down myself and prepare for the sleep that I need. So that's. Yeah, no. And, and that's, and really that's what it is. We know that the way children develop, once they hit their teenagers, uh, teenage years, they're more inclined to want to stay up later at night. And that's just a developmental process. Parents do not like be alarmed it just is part of the process. Um, but in an ideal world, yeah, your kids need more rest than you. So if you guys, if the family is waking up around the same time, the kids definitely need to be going to bed before the parents. I see. And that's basically how it is. They're getting ready for school. We're getting ready for work. Everyone's up at the same time. So they right. just need to go to bed sooner. They do. As much as they, re- as much as they resist and they fight it and they hate it and they don't like you and you're the worst parent in the world, they are going to be such better human beings when they're well rested. So they'll be much yeah. happier creatures. <laughs> we could all use a little more of that. Yeah. I'm telling you. I can tell when a kid is sleepy, especially my own children, it's like this mutual frustration and neither one of us is getting what we want out of our conversation or whatever our task or goal is. And we're just like, we, we just get into this cycle of just like, what do you need from me? <laughs> because help mm-hmm. me help you. And right. I think at the end of the day, what they need is more sleep. Right. They do, but, and, and they need quality sleep. So there was a study that I um, read recently um, about the impact of our toddlers falling asleep with iPads and in front of the TV. And it doesn't, um, I don't know that it really matters necessarily what they're watching. Um, but that they're watching TV in the hour or so before bedtime is associated with aggression with these little kids and that aggression carries on as they age. So when you're having toddlers that are throwing temper tantrums and maybe hitting kids at daycare or whatever else the case may be, they've associated that with kids who are falling asleep in front of devices. And, and I know parents, I mean, it's, I, I, I personally have taken care of families where parents use the device as a means to soothe the child. Um, and honestly, that's doing more harm than good. You know, it's interesting that you say that because what I, I feel as a parent, how, how that's happening, and my kids are a little bit older than like a toddler right now, so they certainly didn't have any sort of device or tablet or anything, but I can see it being like, you know, so that you can have your time to wind down as a parent here, here's this device, here's this iPad or phone that you can watch your little shows or your little baby Netflix or whatever that I watch on there so that I can have my time. But really, 
if we're if we back their bedtime up to allow them that 10 to 12 hours once they're sleeping we have that time that we might be using a device to allow us to have so yeah. that's really really I, I'm still stuck on the 10 to 12 hours, to be honest. Um, <laughs> it's a that, lot of rest. <laughs> well, I say it in clinic all the time for smaller kids. Yeah, so. For some reason, middle school and high school, I, I'm not, I hadn't connected that because they're so busy, you know? They are. And that is a lot of the reason why there are a lot of sleep researchers who spend a good bulk of their efforts led, lobbying to push back start times for schools because it is really, really having a huge impact on kids to be this chronically sleep-deprived. Depri- sleep so um, we are seeing, we have associated um, poor sleep or sleep deprivation um, with higher rates of suicidality and higher rates of risk-taking behaviors, whether that means drinking and driving, whether that means experimenting with drugs, whether that means being unsafe in experimenting with sex. As our teens and preteens are evolving and growing and maturing and different parts of their brains are maturing at different times, decision-making is not an easy thing at all, even as adults. And it's even more difficult when your brain isn't fully developed and you are chronically sleep deprived. You're not making good choices. And and, mm -hmm. I was just going to say, and then you, when um, we're talking about um, differences among races, you have to compound that with just, like I said before, the stress of being a black person in America. So when we're talking about these statistics around kids, um, yes, it's true for kids of all races, But when you're talking about minority kids and black kids specifically, um, those risks are magnified. So while those risks exist um, for, so while the suicidality, for example, go up for white kids um, and Hispanic kids in the the environment where there's chronic sleep deprivation, they go up significantly more for black kids in in those dynamics. Well, you know, I, I live in cardiac world, and uh, studies have also shown that most people's blood pressure goes down at night when they're sleeping. But in one particular study that I had read, um, it wasn't going down for black people while they are sleeping when they're doing the 24-hour ambulatory uh, blood pressure monitor that's taking your blood pressure, you know, every hour for 24 hours. The hours where the rest of the of the demographic, you know, other demographics, white or or non-black, their blood pressure was going down. Ours wasn't, and so um, that was a, a a big find and and something else to work on. You know, stress management and, and wellness and perceived racism and things of that nature. But I want to I want to dial back because you said. Um, Sleep deprivation and quality sleep. Can you take a moment to differentiate between um, sleep deprivation and quality sleep? Because what that sounds like to me is you could be getting, or kids could be getting, um, the 10 to 12 hours, but it's not quality. And so these same, they're at risk for these same things. Can you talk about the difference? Uh, just to piggyback a little bit off of what you spoke about in terms of, Blood pressure. Sure. 
there's a distinction between being in bed with your eyes closed and getting good quality rest, restorative rest. Um, and it's true that black people tend to not get as much restorative rest as other populations in the United States. So for reasons that we're still trying to understand, for reasons that we're still researching, for in, in ways that we're still trying to intervene on, what, what complicates that is what another thing that research has found is that Black people tend to complain a lot less than other races, specifically white people. So um, where white people, so when you are actual, do, when you're actually doing studies and measuring the quality of sleep using fancy, uh, a fancy sleep study sort of, it's called polysonography. So when you're, when you're using these expensive machines to actually measure sleep and measure what's going on with your brain waves and what, with your heart rate and all of those things, we find that black people say that they're sleeping fine and white people say that they're not sleeping well at all. When in reality, when it's actually being measured, the reverse is true. That black people tend to to have poorer quality sleep, in compared to white in comparison to white people. White people just tend to complain more. And I bring that up to say that there is a level of expected discomfort in the black experience in America. So being in bed and waking up every hour or every few hours or not really feeling rested when you wake up in the morning, those are problems. And those are problems that you need to be vocal about with your provider because your provider can't, isn't going to know what's going on with you if you don't communicate about it. Um, and sleeping well is really, really important. And there are, there are things that we can do to help you with. There are situations that rise to the level of needing medication. And there are kids even who need to be on medication for different reasons. But we can't even start the process of evaluating that for you um, if we aren't being vocal about what's going on with us. Um, so, so that, that is an issue in and of itself. So, um, what we look at when we're measuring the quality of sleep, there are num there, there are a number of variables and it gets kind of complicated, but at the most fundamental level, we want to know how much time are you in bed trying to sleep versus how much time you're actually sleeping mm. in that also, how many times are you waking up in the middle of the night? Um, so you don't even need to like fully like you don't need to be wide awake, but um, I have I have, I personally have this issue too, where I will kind of come to consciousness, be aware of what's going on around me, and then fall back asleep. So we call that sleep fragmentation, and um, so reducing the fragmentation um, because we want that sleep to be restful and restorative, and so we want you to stay asleep for as long as possible. And this is the same for kids, I presume. Yes, it's the same for kids. I, um, and again, I think right now the focus is on getting in kids in bed long enough in the first place. Um, okay. Because that's not really happening. Taking the devices away from the kids. You said something earlier about having quiet time on Saturdays. Really having some sort of quiet time every day would be a good idea for for. <laughs> kids um that helps with the wind down process getting rid of the devices again and really like we shouldn't be around the tv within an hour of trying to go to, go to bed well i mean i'll be nice and say 30 minutes if we could get away from the, from our devices 30 minutes before going to bed i would be grateful 
it would make a huge yeah. difference. Baby steps. <laughs> baby right? steps. Baby steps. Yeah. Yeah. And then yeah. again, and, and I can't stress the importance again of bedtimes, having structure around that, especially for the yeah. smaller ones. I want to, I want to talk to parents for just a second because I have you know, three children, 21, 14, and 12. And when my kids were younger, we got a lot of pushback from friends who really thought we were too strict. They, they really thought, you know, the boundaries that we had put in place um, were really too hard or too strict. But what I want to say is, um, you know, if you're doing it in love, it's never bad, right? You want your children to go to bed earlier because you love your children and you know that not sleeping puts them at risk for things that are detrimental, if not deadly, right? So knowing that and being grounded in that and knowing that kids have parents for a reason, and that reason is we know things that they don't know. Our brains are fully developed. Those aren't. They're not able to keep themselves safe. And in this day and age of mommy guilt and daddy guilt and we do so much that when we're with our kids we just want to give them everything we really have to pause and understand that some of what we're giving them is not ideal and even though they may love it in the moment they over time it's something that they can actually become addicted to and be detrimental in terms of sleep and in other areas when it came to bargaining, um, and this is probably going to sound really wild and really funny, um, but a lot of times kids get in this mindset because we've trained them to, well, what do I get if I listen to you? Or what do I not get if I don't listen to you? And we used to let our kids pick a treat, um, in quotes, and that was a fruit, a piece of fruit from the produce section that we wouldn't normally buy in bulk. And the smaller the children, the, I think the easier a sell, at least for this type of thing. But it would be literally like, you know, the kids would pick a, a special kind of pear or a plum or a peach. And they don't know. When they're, when they're little, if you call it a treat, it's a treat to them. And so they're, they're learning to, first of all, have some delayed gratification. You're going to have to wait till we go to the store. Second, you're picking something that's healthy and good and we're making a big deal out of it and exposing them to different kinds of foods. One time my son picked a, a star fruit. <laughs> um, we've had kiwi, just, just really mm-hmm. different things that they're curious. And it's something for them to look forward to and, and get their buy-in. Because trust me, if you go, if you listen to this episode and you say, hey guys, Bedtime is 7.30 tonight. That's what we've determined will allow you to have 12 hours of sleep and give me your devices. That is not going to go over well with your children. (laughs) So, you know, every little step is progress. If you observe, I always tell my patients, observe before you act, Um, especially when it comes to food choices and and different things like this. I had a a patient recently, and I know I'm derailing, but I'll I'll bring it back in, I promise, um, who had some really high uh, cholesterol numbers. And they absolutely qualified for a statin. Mm -hmm. We could have started them on medication, 
But before doing that, it's like, okay, let's observe and see what it is that you're already doing and see if we can tweak your diet or your lifestyle so that we don't have to do that. Would you believe this patient came back to me and realized that they were eating 16 bacon cheeseburgers a month? Wow. They they worked in a place where they had a cafeteria and they go to the cafeteria for their meal and this is what they're ordering. So when I ask about fast food, nope, not eating fast food. When you ask about, you know, different things like that, it, it doesn't, we have to take a moment to observe what we're actually doing and then make realistic incremental changes. That patient, by the way, was horrified that they were eating this way. Uh, and not even realizing it because a lot of these things are mindless. We're going about our day. We're doing the things that we need to do to pay our bills, to survive, and not really cluing in on these things that really affect our health. And I say that for parents, before you go trying to take it all away and putting yourself in a situation where it, it may actually backfire, observe what you're doing first. Observe what time your kids are are going to bed, number one, because if they're going to bed at 10 o'clock every night implementing a 7.30 bedtime, no, you you probably (laughs) want to go to 9.30 and then 9 o'clock. And the same with the devices. When do the devices come out? When do we pull them out and say, here you go, what we're thinking and feeling in that moment? Because those are really going to be helpful things in the long run of implementing these very, very important health and wellness practice and just overall necessity we need sleep yes we do and then just another tidbit um same thing like when we talked about eating for adults we want to avoid stimulating foods and drinks for kids before bedtime too so let's avoid the pepsis and the cokes and i don't know if your kids are drinking coffee but you know let's avoid those in the hours before bedtime and and avoid too much sugar um, where you are able to intervene. Make sure that they are well-rested, even if they resent you at bedtime. They'll be happy about it when they wake up in the morning. And it's like getting a new child, to be honest. You know, we, we run around and we take them here and there and want help. Do, do they need therapy? Do they do pills? Do they? And they may. I'm not shooting down any of those things. And kudos to any parent who's taking their kid and trying to, you know, get help and get assistance. Um, But don't forget about sleep. It's so easy to do. Um, There's really a performance-based culture around raising kids, especially when they get to middle and high school, especially when they self-select what their sport or their activity is going to be. And as parents, we have to be so protective of that I have argued with coaches in the past who wanted to have, you know, practices late at night because of gym space and whatever else. You can't have a kid running up and down a basketball court at 8 o'clock at night and expect them to be (laughs) in bed (laughs) at 8.30. It just, it doesn't work that way. So um, there's, this is a tough one. Actually, I, you know, I think it's even tougher for kids because you're not just dealing with yourself, you're dealing with another person. A lot of it is things that you have actually trained or or allowed over time, so it's confusing to them when they get a different message. It is. Children's sleep is is really a... 
definitely might, maybe even more difficult than our own. I, I mean, it is. It, it is. I can see that. And I mean, to be fair, all the cool TV shows come on at nine. So, you know, like I, 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 I understand that I am speaking very easily about something that is not easy to accomplish. I understand that um, there are parents who work different shifts and are, can't always be there to regulate when their children go to bed. I understand that there are a lot of things that play into this. I also want to provide a base level of education for people who really just don't know. There are a lot of people who have who have had no idea that their child falling asleep in front of a screen could translate to physical aggression like in school down the line. Um, and so there, there are small things and where you can make differences do that. I mean, any one small tweak can take you a long way. So do what you can and don't forget to involve your primary care provider um, and your child's pediatrician in these conversations. We, um, we just for the culture, we need to be better about communicating what, what's going on with us to, to our, our care providers so that they can address our concerns. And we need to be persistent too. We tend to get a little, we tend to get ignored sometimes, but we have to be persistent. Um, and know that we, it, it isn't normal to be uncomfortable and tired all the time. And, and, and there are things that we can do to feel better. It isn't normal to be uncomfortable and tired all the time. In a culture that says the more you do, the more successful you are. I know Steve Harvey just went, got kind of um, dragged for talking about eight hours of sleep. Nobody can get wealthy getting eight hours of sleep at night. And I mean, really, it is, I think it's really a cultural thing. Like the busier we are, somehow that translates into success. And it's almost like, you know, you say, hey, how are you today? Good morning. How are you? Oh, you know, I'm, I'm here. You know, I'm dragging myself along, but eventually it'll be Friday. That's not normal. It's not normal to be uncomfortable and tired all the time. And I know, like, when I started prioritizing sleep, and, and for me, I was an undergrad, and there was just a shift that happened where I realized I feel better when I go to bed earlier and I like feeling better. Mm. And it just happened for me naturally that I, from that point when I just realized I had gone from going to bed at three o'clock every morning and waking up at 9am for class to, yeah, I I mean, we all had undergrad experiences, but that was mine. And then, (laughs) and then, um, I transitioned to, I don't, I don't even really know what, I think I got a job on campus. And so I started having to go to bed, earlier to be able to make it to my job and I just realized this feels great and I like feeling great and so I just started going to bed earlier then so I think that you'll start noticing for those who have the privilege um, of doing that do what you can Um, and for our kids too napping is a great tool so if for whatever reason you have a child who needs to be on a basketball court at 8 p.m. um Make sure that when they come home from school or when they do get home, there's that quiet time for them to be able to get a nap in. Try to try to accumulate those hours somehow. It would be ideal to get them consecutively overnight, but we get that that's not always possible for everybody. Right. That's, that's great tips and advice. I know last week we talked about curtains versus blinds. We talked about um, light 
uh, all those things I'm guessing also apply to children. Mm -hmm. Um, So one of the things that is coming up as an issue specifically for people living in inner cities are the issues of noise pollution and light pollution Um, and not being able to get away from the the clamoring sounds um, and not really being able to, to, to darken the room enough for you to be able to get out of the rest. Um, and so, yeah, that's where the issue of curtains and blinds come in. Window cover, I mean, let's just say window coverings, period, and then trying to minimize noise in whatever ways that we can. Um, and so when you can create um, a soothing, comforting environment that, and I would imagine if the white noise kind of drowns out the sound of sirens and honking horns and traffic noise if you're living in the midst of a huge city um that i would imagine that would be helpful yeah um but but what what we need is a soothing safe environment for us to feel safe for us to feel comfortable enough to relax and to rest um so and and again all of this everybody is it privileged equally to to have those sorts of environments but where you can create it do what you can absolutely and i have to you know plug yoga again because i'm a yoga enthusiast yoga for kids yoga for adults Mm -hmm. even just a little flow sometimes i find myself being just a little bit wound up when it's time to go to bed which is not normal for me i'm a great sleeper um I don't sleep enough, I have learned, but I fall asleep very easily. But on those nights when I don't feel like I can just fall asleep, I do a little, just a brief, um, relaxing yoga flow, and it is like a light switch goes off. It's like I'm all relaxed, and then I'm asleep. Yeah, and and that, and the the utility of yoga in um, improving sleep health that has been established in research. So just, yeah, just some deep breathing and some meditation and a light flow. Um, good for adults and kids. I agree with that. I'm all for, I'm here for all of it. I love yoga too. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much again for coming back and kind of recapping last week's episode as well as talking more about kids. I I started this episode out with my mouth open because 10 to 12 hours, again, like I said, I'm used to that for babies and and very small children, but maybe not being all the way clued in that, yeah, you know, I look at my 14-year-old, of course he needs more sleep. He is growing and eating me out of the house. (laughs) So bedtimes, bedtimes, bedtimes. Uh, naps when we can get that in or when we know they're going to have a late night, mm-hmm. incorporating an after-school nap, avoiding stimulants 30 minutes to an hour before bedtime, and making sure we include in those stimulants not just food like caffeine or sugar, but those devices, mm-hmm. those devices. Um, yeah. Anything else you want to add before we wrap up with sleep? Um, I feel like we've covered it. I mean, if there are any questions that come up, I'm happy to do to look into things, do some research, and answer any questions that I can. Um, Great. But yeah, and I think I think the only other thing that I would add is ten to twelve hours is a big ask. If your kids are right now sleeping seven hours, then bump it up to eight. I mean it doesn't, you know, like we're not shooting for perfection and and, and like we talked about last time, not throwing the baby out with the bathwater is really, really important. 
So yeah. doing what you can. We will get there incrementally and and learn together and take these steps so that we can be a healthier community and healthier individuals. Thank you so much, Dr. Monique Balthazar. Okay, thank you so much, Dr. Monique Balthazar, for joining us again. Where can we find you, and what are you doing these days? Um, I am at Emory University. I'm at the School of Nursing doing research on sleep health um, in vulnerable populations. Right now, I'm working with people with HIV, specifically. Um, Yeah. That's and that. where can we follow your research? My Twitter handle is D-R-M-B-A-L-T-H-A-Z-A-R. So that's Dr. M. Balthazar um, on Twitter. That's where you can find me. Dr. M. Balthazar. I, you know what? If you check your Twitter right now, you have a new follower. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate it. All yes, right. Thank you so much for your expertise and your generosity with your knowledge. We will... Stay in touch. Exciting things to come. And I want to thank all the listeners as well for tuning in again. These are maybe not the most exciting conversations in the world of podcasts and all the things you could be listening to. But you know what? These are things that are going to make us better, improve our mental health, our physical health, and our overall quality of life. So thanks for hanging with me. And we'll see you next week. Thank you. Bye. Thanks so much for tuning in to The Purple Stethoscope. I'm your host, Devin Nixon, family nurse practitioner. You can find me on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at D, the NP. That's at symbol D like Devin, the NP, like nurse practitioner. If you like what you've heard today, go ahead and share the episode, or even better yet, rate and review. I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening.